You're listening to the ILC Radio Network, brought to you by the Iowa Lean Consortium and Zone Strategies. Here's your host, Stephen Wilson. With me today is Ellen Dome, and uh, uh, Ellen currently is a a trees instructor at the IAI University, a partner at Strategian uh, Inc. and uh, Systematic Innovation, and then also a consultant with the PQR Group. But this happens to be Ellen's uh, sixth career. I think uh, I think it is. Uh, she's been a physics professor, aerospace engineer, an engineering manager, product line general manager, strategic planning, quality improvement consultant. Uh, she has been. Uh, uh, it seems like everything under the sun with regards to continuous improvement and and, uh, uh, and trees and such, but it is certainly a pleasure to have her uh, on the show again today. And we're going to be talking about linking your resources and innovation efforts, and uh, uh, really utilizing the things around you in the in the innovation process. Uh, well, so at this point, I'd like to welcome you, Ellen, to the program. Thanks, Steve. Um, We've we've talked a couple several well actually a, a couple of times uh, previous programs about uh, trees and its relationship with with Six Sigma, but uh, today we'd like to speak specifically about uh, the whole innovation process and uh, specifically really utilizing the uh, the resources that uh, that are around us. Um, what is the uh, I guess the uh, the basis for that discussion and uh, uh, that subject matter, Ellen? Well, Steve, in some of our previous discussions about uh, creativity and Six Sigma, what we talked about was the fact that after a company gets started in Six Sigma, there's the well-known period of harvesting the low-hanging fruit. In other Mm -hmm. words, solving the problems that you should have solved all the time anyhow, doing ones where not only does the uh, Six Sigma level analysis help you truly understand what the problem is, but once you understand the problem, the solutions become obvious. Mm-hmm. The time when trees comes into many Six Sigma processes is somewhere around the second or third year when all the easy stuff has been done. And so the Six Sigma process is still doing an excellent job of identifying the problems, but it now leaves the team with the problem of, okay, we understand the problem quite thoroughly, but we don't have any idea how to find the solution. Mm -hmm. And so that's why mixing an innovation creativity method into the quality improvement method makes so much sense. Now, I was trying to find a topic for today where we could give our audience a technique that they can use right away Mm-hmm. Literally, when they hang up the phone in half an hour, they can go apply this to their next problem, and at the same time, where it's suitable for the audio-only uh, broadcast-type uh, environment that we're in. We don't need to give them diagrams and pictures and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the resource tool of trees is a very good tool because everybody can understand it, everybody can use it, and uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of theory or philosophy to understand it. It's a very practical tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes into trees because a tremendous number of the trees' techniques deal with things like solving the problem 
by making the problem simpler, solving the problem by uh, eliminating things that are causing problems without adding much in the way of benefits. Okay. So simplification is one of the basic techniques of trees, and uh, removing complexity, removing cost, removing uh, things that cause more harm than good are parts of trees. So that's the avenue by which the use of resources comes into trees. Ellen, I, I certainly want to get into the discussion of that and that, those examples, um, but why answer this for me if you can. Why do organizations, I guess perhaps, uh, stray away from looking for that inherent simplicity in things? Well, one of my chemistry friends gave me an interesting, uh, almost a bumper sticker. It said, once you put something in, you should never take it out. Mm. They, they call that the immutable law of additives in chemistry because once you put something into the system, it interacts in many different ways with what's already there. Okay. And so if you get lucky and you put something in and the situation gets better, you may not understand the complexity of everything you've added. So once you put something in, don't take it back out. And it's a very tempting thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we stray away from simplicity simply because sometimes we got lucky in making it more complicated worked. <laughs> the other side is both what I would call a human and an organizational behavior side of things. Uh, and we see this a lot with systems where, uh, for instance, we've tried to improve something in the quality world by having better documentation. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of years later, you find you've got a department of documentation, you've got a manager of documentation, you've got a supervisor of hardware documentation and a supervisor of software documentation, and each of them have 23 people working for them. Right. So when you go to simplify the system by saying, okay, from now on the documentation is part of the product, it's not a separate event, you've got... Uh, 25 people trying to defend their own jobs because they're the documentation department. Right. Mm -hmm. So some of it is once you put something in, you're afraid to take it out because you don't understand all the interactions. The other side is, um, I hate to call it bureaucracy, but bureaucracy in the sense of you have created an infrastructure, and so now people have something they have to defend. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas one of the examples we used in the last discussion was um, improving a software system by making it self-documenting and not having to do a separate activity of documentation. So uh, you can see that happening. And, of course, this is one of the reasons that Trees is kind of famous for uh, getting people Looking at, wait a minute, you're going to make my, you're going to take my job away. You're going to make my business go away. Mm -hmm. The good news is, from a strategic point of view, everybody needs to understand that your business is going to go away. Right. Another example we used on our first conversation was the lawnmower, where if the grass only grows to a certain height and then stops, well, then the lawnmower people are out of business. Right. And 
in this case, the lawnmower people are well aware of it, and the lawnmower people are working on uh, the so-called smart grass. And, in fact, some of the lawnmowers companies have acquired biotech companies and things like that. Mm-hmm. So point is, one of the positive sides of trees is it helps you figure out what's going to put you out of business. The negative side is something is going to put you out of business. Mm-hmm. And so all this does is give you time to plan for that. It doesn't tell you it doesn't tell you how to avoid it. It tells you you need to be getting a new business going because somebody is going to put you out of business. Mm-hmm. When our audience can go learn about trees and quality for themselves, you and I are both out of business. Right. So uh gives us time to go work on that. Absolutely. Well, today we want to talk about specifically about emphasizing uh, uh, resources and um, using a lot of the things that uh, we already have and those things around us. Um, so, what are some of those? What are some of those things? Well, trees uses a very broad definition of resources. Now, you said things, and to mm-hmm. most people, things mean objects. So I'm looking at my desk and I've got a plain old-fashioned telephone console because we didn't want the noise of trusting too much to technology and I've got some pens and a scotch tape thing and by the way I've got the desk itself and what are but now we start to look beyond just things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gee, what's uh, the desk? Well, it's a flat surface that prevents gravity from pulling my teacup down to the floor. Oh, so I've got gravity in this room. That's a form of energy. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to you on the telephone. That's uh, mechanical energy where my voice makes the diaphragm vibrate, and it's electrical energy where the signal goes through the uh, various different transitions to let people root it off to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so trees takes this broad use of resources, energy, uh, things, waste things. Gee, within my field of view, I've got a, a waste basket where I carelessly only used one side of some pieces of paper. I could use the other side of those pieces of paper. Uh, I've got a, a green growing plant here decorating my office so I could have the carbon dioxide that the plant is uh, respiring and exchanging for oxygen, the plant and the chemistry of the plant are resources. But, hey, that plant won't do anything unless it gets sunlight. Good thing I've got a window. Mm -hmm. And then I look at the window and say, well, the window is admitting sunlight, uh, keeping out cold air, um, it's a shiny surface, so I could use it as a mirror if I had a need to. Mm-hmm. It's also a flat surface. I could use it if I needed to uh, you know, press that wrinkled piece of paper flat. So you start looking at the things and the attributes of the things mm. that are already in your system. Let me challenge you. If you just look around your office, what kind of energy sources do you see? Uh, I have, of course, uh, some fluorescent lights. I have, like you, I have uh, some sunlight. Uh, I have lights emanating from my uh, computer screen. Uh, of course, the telephone, uh, cell phone, sitting here with a a battery uh, in it. Um, 
tape dispenser with the uh, the roll that's creating some uh, some energy, um, and of course many of the things then that uh, that you were referring to. Uh, yeah. So if you got into solving a problem in your office, mm-hmm. the fastest way that you could solve it would be to use something you've already got. Mm-hmm. And we all do this on the, let's call it everyday level, all the time. What takes the creativity is to see how you can use this on corporate problems, on social problems, on getting the larger universe to use what we've already got. Uh, from a uh, practical point of view in terms of corporate problem solving, certainly if I could use things I've already got to solve the problem, then I don't have to run new training classes for my employees because they're using something they're already familiar with. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a regulated industry, particularly this is popular with the pharmaceutical industry and with people who deal with uh, military things, uh, to go through requalification to do a new solution to a problem in the pharmaceutical industry, that can take five to seven years. Mm -hmm. So if I'm using something I've already got, then it's a huge advantage. Similarly, four to seven years for military-type products. (laughs) to be requalified. Uh, but in some companies, they say, the heck with regulatory things, the fact that we don't have to retrain either our employees, our salespeople, or the worst one, we don't have to retrain the customer if we can use something we've already got. Right. So using the resources you've already got is a huge advantage. Now, You and I played a little game just now with the idea of energy resources Mm -hmm. and physical objects as resources and the attributes of the objects, like the flat surface of the window or the shiny surface of the window and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some other categories of resources that people should be very aware of, one is information as a resource. the information that you've already got plus the information that you can easily get that can help you solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Let me give you um, a really nice entrepreneurial example that's happened fairly recently. Uh, Everybody is probably familiar with the big signs that you see on the highway telling you that it's uh, 15 minutes to downtown if you follow Route 10, but 27 minutes if you take Route 60, yeah. or that kind of sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, some cases, all they give you is the sign, and you're supposed to be smart enough to figure out how to get off of the highway you're currently on onto the faster one. Right. Other places, those signs talk to your GPS system, and that then gives you two alternate routes or whatever, and you pick the alternate route you want and your GPS guides you there. And a third way that that's being used in quite a few parts of the world is what they call dynamic costing. In other words, uh, one of the ones here in California, for every 10 miles an hour that the paid highway is faster 
than the free highway, you pay an extra dollar. So it can cost as much as $9 to take uh, the paid highway mm. over a fairly short stretch uh, if the traffic is really, really terrible uh, in the free lane, and it can be as cheap as $0.50 cents if there's not much difference. Mm. The most expensive one I've heard about is near London, where they have the signs emphasizing the tolls uh, far out in the suburbs at railroad stations. So the idea is, you know, park here and take the train versus continuing on into the city where it can be an 18-pound fee. Mm. And uh, this morning's exchange rate, that's uh, getting up around $30. Mm -hmm. So is it worth $30 to you to keep driving toward the city? Right. Now, what... What makes this a problem rather than just an anecdote is that in order for these systems to be effective, you really need a sensor uh, every few tenths of a mile because someone's going to make an intelligent choice about when to get off the highway onto local roads and so forth. They mm -hmm. need to make that decision before the next exit. Mm -hmm. And the problem was that the 1980s-style sensors, which were mostly based on either sonar or radar, cost several hundred thousand dollars for each installation. Mm. It's not the sign that's expensive. It's the sensor that's expensive. And in 2007, an entrepreneurial company said, decided they were going to find a better way to make the sensors. And they did one of our basic quality techniques, which is go out where your customers are and really live with your customers and understand your customers' situations. Mm -hmm. So they did a lot of driving around in trucks and cars. And what they saw, and this, remember, was 2007, whole lots of people using their cell phones. Mm -hmm. And nowadays they'd probably be texting or getting data, but at that we're talking four whole years ago, right. it was mostly voice. <laughs> That's right. And one of the uh, people involved in this uh, entrepreneurial venture happened to look up from his cell phone and see one of the cell antennas. Now, I don't know what they look like where you are, but here in California they make this uh, pitiful effort to disguise them as palm trees and Norfolk <laughs> pine and they're very symmetrical, artificial-looking trees, but basically they're the cell towers. Uh huh. And so he put that on his list of resources. And then when they got back with all of their data, they realized that they needed to know more about what the cell towers do. What they do is when you're making a phone call on your cell phone, mm -hmm. if you're standing still, it's the tower closest to you that transfers the information off to the network. Okay. But if you're moving, the tower closest to you is changing. And as your signal gets weaker, the tower that has you finds the tower you're headed for and says, here comes Steve, you ready to receive him? They say yes, and they transfer it over. And if it's really working properly, you never notice that they've moved you from one tower to the next to the next. Yeah. And the other 500 people who's cars and trucks are surrounding you on the highway, if you're all going the same direction at the same speed, there's a whole bunch of those, here comes Steve and his buddy in the red car, messages. Uh -huh. And so the infrastructure of the cell phone system 
knows which direction and which speed the traffic is going. Mm. So what they did was they actually approached the cell phone companies asking for permission to use that data, and the cell phone companies made the somewhat embarrassing discovery that they didn't even encrypt the data. In other words, these guys could have the data anytime they wanted it. They just had to <laughs> stick up an antenna. Mm-hmm. And so they've created a very nice business, essentially selling the algorithm for interpreting that data to the city governments that put up the traffic signs and use the dynamic reprogramming data. Mm -hmm. In other words, information that was already in the environment Mm -hmm. solved the problem. The information was not created to solve that problem. Right. But it's there. On a uh, far less, shall we say, less technological adventure side of things, I've seen people do this in corporations all the time for instance, uh, one that I saw recently, the uh, black belts on a Six Sigma project were complaining that it took too much time to keep their project management data up to date. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody agreed that if the data is up to date, it's a good thing because then you can use those per charts to figure out how the tasks should be organized and that sort of thing. Yes. Just nobody wanted to type it in. Right. Well, it turns out that within the company system, most of that data is already there. Uh, you know, if it's if Steve took a trip to go interview customers about uh, better understanding of customer needs for some quality function deployment project or what mm-hmm. have you, well, the mm-hmm. travel department knows you took the trip. Right. And the accounting department knows which project it was charged to. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, for that matter, your supervisor probably got a message that uh, Steve's not going to be around on Tuesday. Right. So all that data is floating around the corporate network. And so making someone type, uh, Steve did customer interviews in the box for Tuesday, is a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. And so once they realized this, they were able to link their other corporate systems to the uh, project management system, and now the black belts only have to type in the data when they do a major reorganization of the problem, not for did the meeting get held on Wednesday, because right. after all, if you're holding a meeting, you had to book the meeting room, and somehow somebody in the company system knows that the meeting room got booked. Mm-hmm. So using the information that is in your system as a resource to solve other problems. And it's a totally simple tool. What you have to ask yourself is, okay, I need information. I need to know how fast the traffic is going on Highway 10. I need to know whether or not the team meeting for Tuesday got held. Mm -hmm. You just have to ask yourself, who already knows this? Right. And is that, uh, Alan, we've got uh, about six minutes in a live program, Mm -hmm. and if, if possible, I'd like to go about 10 minutes more just to, make sure we're able to wrap things up um, after the uh, the live portion. But a couple of questions here, and I think maybe you're beginning to allude to that. How do you develop and how do our listeners develop a, a comprehensive list of, uh, of those different types of resources? And how do they uh, look for and identify, I guess, the various attributes of, of the resources that are around them to solve problems? Uh, I'm going to give you a very unmagical answer. 
practice, practice, practice. Yeah. Uh, I would start with a list of the categories of resources. Okay. And so I will give you that list right now. Uh, we already talked about information as a resource, <laughs> materials, you know, the stuff that's around, uh, waste products. So if you've got stuff that you've thrown away, obviously using it, the simplest one that I think we all know about are things like uh, sawmills where they burn the sawdust to make the power to run the saw to cut more sawdust and so forth, mm-hmm. you know, using your own waste products. Uh, people as a resource category, uh, they carry information, but they also can do things, and energy as a resource category. So if you have the categories, then you can go look for details of what kind of information do I have, what kind of materials do I have. And then the next column on this chart, so if we've got categories with individual items on the rows, Mm -hmm. the next column you would want would be what are the properties of that information. So you've got electricity in your office. You've got AC and you've got DC. You've got light. Well, you've got sunlight and fluorescent light and computer light, you know, each of which has a different spectrum, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So giving yourself a table to fill out uh, can give you some of the discipline of looking at these things. Now, then I would do a blank table, which is to solve the problem, what do I need? Well, I need information about how fast the traffic is going. Gee, is there anything on my list of resources that has that information embedded in it? And so you literally are looking for a match between what have I got and what do I need. Okay. Um, I need I need a flat thing that's at room temperature. Well, I can use my desk if I want a horizontal flat thing, or I can use the wall if I want a vertical flat thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Believe me, once you have found one or two of these, you will turn into a real enthusiast for this method. The other thing I would encourage people to do is uh, whenever you see something in an article, in a lately there have been a lot of people tweeting about uh, you know cute inventions and things like that in one mm-hmm. of these lists of 50 best inventions of the year so-and-so. Whenever you see one, ask yourself, how did they use the resources? The cutest one that I saw last year was a nightclub in Rotterdam Mm -hmm. where they asked, what do people do in the nightclub? Well, they dance and they drink beer. Okay, dancing. What is dancing? Well, if we leave out the the aesthetic part, it's jumping up and down. Hmm, jumping up and down. And they put piezoelectric devices under the floor so every time the floor flexes either up or down it generates electricity and they use that electricity to run the beer coolers (laughs) I'm told they get enough electricity to run the beer coolers and the DJ station they don't get enough for the whole club but uh, that's a growing trend is let your customer solve the problem for you Uh, there's a legend that Thomas Edison had a garden around his research center, and every time a visitor came in, they opened the garden gate, and the visitor's act of pulling on that gate ran the pump that pumped the water to the garden. Mm-hmm. And so now when I see things like, uh, oh, 
it's getting to be very common that when you have a uh, revolving door, like on a department store or an airport or something, mm-hmm. when you walk into the door and push on the door to make it turn, well, it's rotating a shaft through the center of the door, and that goes into a generator and generates electricity for the store. Mm-hmm. So they may not know that they're working in the tradition of Thomas Edison, but they are. Yes. So practice, 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 but having a little structure like list of categories, list of elements, and then properties of the elements mm-hmm. can really help. Mm-hmm. So I just got a 90-second warning. Should we wrap up? Yeah, that would be excellent. I think that'll that'll work well. Okay. Uh, everybody who's listening to this call is uh, people. You can manipulate things. You have information. You can observe things. So you are a resource for solving the problem. And the question becomes one of analyze your problem. Mm-hmm. Analyze your problem to see if changing the way you use the resources you already have could be a solution to the problem. And uh, you'll find that it's a very fast way to solve problems if it turns out to be appropriate for the particular situation you're in. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we would love to hear stories and feedback from people who took this half hour's worth of resource discussion and went and solved big problems with it. Absolutely. That would be fantastic to see some of those and here's some of those examples. Uh, Ellen, again, thanks so much for, for your time. Um, it uh, never seems to be enough, but I do appreciate your, your input. And, and uh, if folks want to, I guess, find out a little bit more about you, where can they go? Um, the website is Trees PQR Group, T-R-I-Z-P-Q-R Group dot com. All right. And that will give them plenty of stuff to Thank you to for read. listening, and we hope you've enjoyed our show. For more information, please check us out online at iowalean.org and zstrat.com.